the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat. It is time, finally, for Bonanza. Here's what we're doing for the bowl season this year. Because sometimes we've been like, all right, we're going to get We're going to just only tell you these very few games. No, 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 no. Because I know that you all want to spray the board because it's right here at the end of the season. And I know that some of you have a bowl pick or a bowl pool that you are filling out. So what we're going to do here on the Cover 3 Podcast Best bets for every daggum game. We are going to break down and we are going to offer at least one play from every single bowl game on the slate. Already see Will in the chat asking the community who else is betting on every bowl game. Well, the Cover 3 podcast is going to have you covered because we are going to offer picks for every single bowl game. It is the Cover 3 Bowl Nanza. But uh, before we get to our breakdown today, by the way, we are going to handle everything sort of through the weekend. Saturday's loaded. Friday, we got a couple games. We're going Bahamas through Myrtle Beach. Myrtle Beach Bowl is going to be in the afternoon on Monday. So we're going to do everything from Friday, Saturday, and then Monday's Myrtle Beach Bowl here in this edition of the Bowl Nanza. But before we do, want to hit a couple of headlines. Um, You know, 60-minute breakdown, gentlemen, of the new NCAA president. Go. All right, we're done with that uh, analysis right there. I have no idea. You're a figurehead for an association. Never forget the NCAA is actually just made up of member schools. No. Can I, can I say one thing on it? Sure. 
it's it's again it's i, I sent the text to the, the group it's another example that mansplaining is not just something that happens from men to women because i tweeted a joke about it and immediately there's like 15 dudes in my replies telling me well actually the reason that it's like guys i don't care it's I don't. the ncaa president it's a meaningless position like i mean you're gonna have to talk to reporters and you're a human meat shield. You get yelled at and you paid for it. There's always money in the human meat shield. There we go. You get paid a lot for it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very handsomely, as uh, as Mark Emmert has shown over time. But uh, on a on a more serious note, a couple of headlines on the coaching front. Uh, I promised Eric Morris to North Texas last episode, and I didn't deliver. My apologies. We'll get to that in just a second too, if we have time. But Mississippi State. And we talked about this a little bit within the context of our a larger Mike Leach discussion on Wednesday. The players told the athletic director that they were 100% committed uh, to playing in this bowl game. And we knew that defensive coordinator Zach Arnett, who's done a very good job in Starkville, he was going to be the interim head coach. Well, the news breaks on uh, Wednesday night. I believe it was made official this morning that Zach Arnett is going to be elevated to head coach. To me, number one, like I said, he's done a very good job as the defensive coordinator there for Mississippi State. And number two, I, I got to think that this is a, a the best move that you could do to try and maintain some some continuity and find some stability in the wake of absolute tragedy. So, you know, just sort of thoughts on the uh, the decision. Did it come as a surprise at all? And what do you make of Zach Arnett, who is now the full-time Mississippi State head coach? It, it's not a surprise because, as you said, considering everything that's going on right now, it's trying to find some sort of stability and something you can count on as quickly as possible for everybody in that locker room is important and everybody in that community is important. But it's as far as Arnett, the Mississippi State defense has done an excellent job the last few years, so it's good that he's getting a shot to earn the job. But we have to remember, Mississippi State currently does not have an athletic director. It, he left mm-hmm. to take the job at Auburn. So... With Mike Leach's death, a a search for an AD going on, adding an actual coaching search at this point in the process is probably too much. So it's currently, it's a four-year deal, annual salary of $3 million, which is very low end for the SEC, obviously. But also, I'm guessing, because I I don't know the contract, I'm guessing the buyout language is such as that when they do find a new AD a year from now, if that AD wants to go through a coaching search, it's probably not going to be prohibitive for them to move on. But for right now, this is the move that makes all the sense in the world. And it gives Arnett a chance to go into the bowl game fully in charge and prepare for the offseason and give himself plenty of time to head into 2023 with a shot to earn the job for good. Yeah, it feels like um, absolutely the right thing to do. Like I was talking to you guys, if there was an ever a situation, if there ever was a situation to listen to the players, this would be it to listen to their voice. Um, but it does almost feel like an extended interim coach, you know, because it is so late in the recruiting process, in the transfer portal process. Why would you make such a drastic change when you just endured one of the more drastic changes in the history of college football, right? With this, you know, tragedy that unfolded. So I think it was the smart move. Young coach, 36, not much, you know, not, no, not much coaching experience, period, but zero head coaching experience. But I think also the finances of it make a lot of sense. So I think it just makes a lot of sense on a lot of levels um, that they decided to stay in-house and just elevate from within. I I hope it works out. I think it'd be great. And I think, you know, seeing the players' desire to honor Mike Leach by playing, 
Hopefully they'll, you know, continue to do that by staying there, you know, the younger players by staying at the university. And uh, I'd love to see this be just another example because we've seen so many coaches in the tree, the offensive side. I think it'd be really cool to see a coach come from the defensive side that just looked at his overall philosophy on coaching in general, not just the offensive side of the ball. So I think it could be a really uh, cool story if it does end up working out. And if it doesn't, like Tom was saying, I think I'm sure there's a an exit that would be amenable to you know to both sides. Yeah, the um, the impact on the early signing period, on the transfer portal, on just trying to <clears throat> hold together this program for uh, for 2023, 100 percent the move. And like you said, Tom, uh, at least that gives it gives Zach Arnett a, a unique opportunity to be able to to get his first look at something. The kind of thing where even if Mississippi State moves on, he's now been there, right? You know, he, he at least is he goes on with his career, gets to be able to have that experience, gets to have that on the resume, makes him more of a head coaching candidate uh, moving forward. So again. They, they are planning to play in the bowl game. Zach Arnett, not, no longer just the interim head coach, but the next head coach of Mississippi State football. Uh, a couple other uh, coaching moves before we move on to our bowl Nanza breakdown. Uh, Eric Morris, the Washington State offensive coordinator, is hired by North Texas. He replaces Seth Luttrell at a time, and this is a, a common refrain, as we've been saying, North Texas, remember, on its way to the American Athletic Conference. Morris was at Incarnate Word? Yes. Okay. Now, Morris was at Incarnate Word, which, of course, helped establish the relationship with Cam Ward, uh, who transferred to Washington State and was a very productive quarterback for the Cougars this season. What do we make of either, either and or uh, the – Higher for North Texas, what Eric Morris brings, but then also Washington State, a program that just lost its offensive coordinator. Fun fact, Cam Ward's middle name is Incarnate. Um, as for Eric Morris, it's an interesting hire. It's weird to me. Like, it's nothing against Morris. I thought that, you know, North Texas was a very it was a, it's a much more attractive job, I think, than a lot of people understand based on its location and the involvement and the interest in the program from local people willing to help North Texas kind of try to establish itself as a power in the American way after it makes the move. And I will say, because there had been so much like scuttlebutt and rumors about them getting rid of Seth Luttrell for the last few months, and then you know they do it after losing the Conference USA Championship game. Again, this is not a knock on Eric Morris, but I thought that they would have had their eyes set on something bigger. But Eric Morris did a very good job at incarnate word that was one of the highest scoring crazy kind of offenses in the country at the fcs level he did a good job with washington state so they're bringing him back and hoping that at the very least you know this is a team that's going to be able to score a lot of points and generate excitement use his connections in the area to help recruit some talent and hope that the move to the new conference and maybe in a little influx of cash could help north texas become a bigger program than it currently is yeah, I'm with you. I think it's, you know, people don't understand. Maybe they don't. It's only like 15, 20 minutes from Dallas. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's very, it's a good location for talent. They've got pretty good resources. Um, I'm, I'm with you. I think it makes sense, though, that they go from a defensive mind, like you always go kind of the polar opposite. So now they're trying to see if offense can can do the trick, if that's what they get. Also interesting, somebody played under Mike Leach at Texas Tech. Uh, as a receiver, so he'll bring you know some of those offensive philosophies there as well. I give it a C plus. 
So much like Tom says it's a good hire, but he doesn't know if it'll work out. I'll give it a C a C plus. <laughs> Cam Ward, quote, shocked by the departure of Eric Morris. I I don't know. Like that's my next thread here is like, okay, so who does Washington State hire? Um, what is Cam Ward's academic status? And is Cam Ward still going to be there? Because that is uh, that was your QB one for a, a long time this season, and and if he is you know feeling a different kind of way about being in Pullman now that Morris is gone, uh, definitely keep your eyes on that. Uh, That's also, what I always go right. to, like, because I do hear a lot of you know I hate the transfer portal, hate the transfer portal. You hear that all the time, and I do too. But this is a reason why it exists. Like coaches do this all the time, and even a lesser known coach like. Uh, Eric Morris, you may not hear about that much, but it impacts the players all the time. So I think we need to kind of look at it through that lens before we complain too much about it. I mean, yeah, the coaches have had a a unlimited time transfer waiver. We have just given players a one-time transfer waiver without having to sit out. Coaches can move as many times as they want within a four- to five-year period uh, without ever having to sit out or not be able to capitalize on their talents. It'll be interesting. Again, the, my understanding of the situation, and this is something that's evolving, is that if he's already used his one-time transfer waiver to be able to get to Washington State, he needs to be a graduate transfer in order to transfer again and be immediately eligible. Uh, we will, we'll see what happens at Washington State with the hire and, uh, and what Cam Ward thinks of that hire. could be very significant as we look ahead to the Cougars' 2023 offense. <clears throat> Speaking of offense... Kent State, they had one of the uh, most innovative offenses in the entire country with Sean Lewis at the helm. He left that position as a sitting head coach to go be the offensive coordinator for Deion Sanders at Colorado. And now Kent State has its replacement hire. It is the running backs coach from Minnesota. It is Kenny Burns. Now, Kenny Burns has been linked up with P.J. Fleck all the way back to the Western Michigan days. Uh, he also has some North Dakota State in his on his resume. I What, what do we make of uh, this hire? Is this just sort of stay in the course, like in a, in a way that maybe we thought Purdue was going to stay the course, and then they, they went with the defensive hire? Like this is trying to bring in someone who's going to try to continue to field prolific offenses? It's – no, it's going to be a very different offense. <laughs> Oh, not schematically, but like just the yeah. idea that you're you're coming in and you're like, okay, we've we've got to do the one thing that we did really well was we were able to get out there, and we were able to be an explosive offense. Mm -hmm. Now they might not be the fastest offense in the entire country. Minnesota certainly wasn't, Correct. but at the same time, you you were hiring somebody that you know at Western Michigan, they weren't always running fast, but they were very like productive and explosive, and at times Minnesota has been as well. Yeah, I, I think this is a hire that makes a lot of sense in that Kenny Burns in his time, both at Western Michigan under P.J. Fleck and at Minnesota, has developed some really good running backs. Like I know Mo Ibrahim gets all a lot of the attention because he's had a magnificent career, but you'll remember a couple years ago, Minnesota was down to like its fourth and fifth string running back due to injuries, and they were all still very productive in that offense, behind that offensive line. He's the guy that's been coaching them up. He's also been a pretty solid recruiter for Minnesota. He has the ties to the MAC from his time there. This is a hire that makes a lot of sense for Kent State in that, you know, in, in that regard. And I think, yeah, it's it is not going to be the flash fast that Sean Lewis and that staff were running there with the golden flashes. But I do think that you could probably expect Kent State to still be scoring points, but it's going to be more of, I would say, 
a more kind of traditional Mac looking offense because like when when PJ was at Western Michigan, they they did have Corey Davis. So it's not like they didn't have, you know, excellent receivers and a strong passing game. They were able to do that. They passed more there than they have since they've gotten to Minnesota. So it will be interesting to see are they going to be running the exact same offense that Minnesota is or will it be a little more balanced because like Minnesota, you look at their offensive line and everybody's like 6'7", 330 pounds. I don't know how many 6'7", 330 pounders you're going to have in the MAC on your offensive line. But if you do, you will probably win a lot of games. One, I think this is not the same as North Texas, which you would think of as a desirable job. I think this is a tough place to hire a big mm-hmm. name, too. Um and then I think somebody with experience in that landscape recruiting, knowing the conference, I think was critical too. So I think it makes a lot of sense from those standpoints. Yep. Um, and breaking news, actually, as of this morning, North Carolina has its offensive coordinator, the replacement for Phil Longo. It is Chip Lindsey. Hey, I know that name. And it's not just because. No, it's not just because of Chip. I mean, he was the head coach at Troy. Mm-hmm. And he was an offensive coordinator for Gus Malzahn at Auburn. And he was the offensive coordinator for Gus Malzahn at UCF. I mean, this is, again, breaking in real time right now. So no, I apologize for not having time, not not being able to give you time for prep. But, you know, instant reaction here. What do we make? What, what's your thought when you've got Chip Lindsey as the offensive coordinator now uh, getting to lead Drake May and working for Mac Brown in Chapel Hill? interesting it's not i i think of the offenses that he's been in charge of and i don't really think of like nfl caliber quarterbacks that he's had to work with so which has always been why he's tried to like make it up i mean the he's been a part of some putt putt offenses so it's going to be interesting to see what he does with a guy like drake may i think chip Lindsay's going to get his chance to show us some stuff he hasn't had the chance to show us yet I remember I just sat with him. I covered a UCF game earlier this year and was talking to him because UCF was playing and just talking about that offense. And it's weird because, you know, Gus runs the system, but what type of input? He always deferred to Gus. He's like, well, Gus likes to do this. Gus likes to do that. So we'll get his chance once again to put his fingerprints all over this. I think this might be one of the more significant hires of the offseason in all of college football, just because of what it means for Drake May. Like we know what it, what he can do, what his upside potential is. And if it tapers off, that puts a tremendous amount of pressure on the play caller, the person running the system. And we, I mentioned on here before, like Tyler Van Dyke looked like a sure thing lock, you know, future top 10 pick. And then it completely falls off the rails because you have a different offense and some different obstacles too. They had to come overcome at Miami. So I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of, of scrutiny on trip Lindsay this year, for sure. I like the way you said that. It's very significant. You're not saying that it's a home run. You're just saying, right. like, I don't know, like right. one way or the other, this right. thing is going to be scrutinized heavily as a, it might also be a second chance for Chip Lindsay to get on the radar for being a head coach. When he did get the tap to go lead Troy, uh, he was out before the end of his third season, 15 and 19 overall, just nine and 13 in Sunbelt play, zero winning seasons overall, zero winning seasons in conference play. Uh, so maybe maybe a chance to get a little bit of a, a fresh start as a potential head coaching candidate. Also, Bobby Petrino to UNLV. My how that changed. We were talking about him to Texas A&M. Now he's going to be at UNLV. So Bobby here we go. Vegas, what could go wrong? Wait, he chose UNLV over t- College Station? No, no. So our report was that he was a candidate and we ran with it. Like, I know. I like that one better. 
Yeah, I like right. that he chose UNLV over College Station. Higher he, upside. Well, we were saying it was good because Bobby Petrino would be able to tell Jimbo to like pipe down. Maybe Jimbo that would have like, been a disaster. We can all admit that, right? If he would have well, gone to Texas A&M, yeah, the, the content, Danny. Yeah, that's, content. What I, I, that's what I need. I needed them barking at each other on the side. But this is perfect though, because Barry Odom can go. Here you go. Yeah, you hey, I'm go I'll go run this and have at it. And whoever Jimbo decides to go with, I hope that's the situation. But until we see it, I wouldn't. If I was a Bobby Petrino figure or that type of cachet with the offensive side of the ball. I'd probably choose another place too if he was even offered. But like you're saying, clearly a, a candidate. Also, if you're Petrino, like odds are, like I'm not saying he's never going to get one, but you're probably not going to get another Power Five head coaching shot. But if you go to UNLV and that offense looks really good, you could probably get a Group of Five head coaching job pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. You don't think Kentucky he could get a, a Power Five again? He could, but I mean, where in the SEC? Because I feel like he is an SEC coach. You know what I mean? I feel like that's kind of the universe in which he exists as far as Power 5 schools win. Maybe a Big 12 school would get him, but I don't know. I just, I feel like, maybe, I don't know. But I think he's more likely to get a group of five job just because there won't be nearly as much scrutiny on that as there would be in the SEC. Yeah, we I often because he spent so much time in the the Southeast, you know, the the flirtation with Auburn, the long run, the two stints at Louisville, Western Kentucky, Arkansas. I forget that that man's from Montana, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, yeah, his brother was the coach at Idaho at Idaho. Right. And he, he did time as an assistant at Idaho and he was an assistant at Nevada and Utah state. Maybe, maybe the mountain West might be a, might be a spot for, uh, for Petrino to be able to have long, clear, flat roads. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. Anything else from the coaching carousel stand out before we uh, hit the break and then come back with our bull Nanza breakdowns, everything from Bahamas through Myrtle. Did you guys already touch on the South Carolina OC hire? The one that Shane Beamer's going crazy about. Yeah. That was the only newsy item I saw. I just thought it was great that he's defending his guy already. Why, why are you paying attention to what the reporters are saying locally? You know, it's only going to make it harder when if they sputter out of the gate, those reporters that he's calling out for writing the articles, they're going to be like, ah, we were right. You were wrong. It's just going to make it tougher on them. But did, we'll see. did any of y'all in here, <laughs> did any of you in here show me your phone? Show me your <laughs> recent calls. Did you call <laughs> Bill Belichick? Mm-hmm-hmm. Middle of the NFL season, like Bill Belichick's picking up a reporter's call. Come on. All right, Shane. Well, you're standing up for your guy. I get it. I'm sure, it plays well in the meeting room. I, I will say the best bear season with Jay Cutler was when Loggins was their offensive coordinator. So my experience with him. Home run hire. Yeah. John, did you call John Fox? Did you call John Fox? No, but I called he, Jay Cutler and he said, good hire. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll be uh, – <laughs> will be fun to uh to to see how that unfolds um and as Shane Beamer's become a larger than life character he's very quickly gone on from he's quickly moved up from being like oh he's such a nice guy oh he's the nicest guy oh he's the nicest guy you get a little taste of that success and power at the SEC level now all of a sudden you get a little edge to you so Shane Beamer 2.0 got got in that top 25 we're, we're seeing a new side of Shane. He's calloused. He's callous now. All right, coming up on the other side, best bets 
for every bowl game from Friday in the Bahamas to Monday in Myrtle Beach and a loaded Saturday. Everything in between coming up next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Bowl season begins with a, a modern cornerstone of the early bowl season. Just founded in 2014, but of the seven games that we have had in Thomas A. Robinson National Stadium in the Nassau Bahamas, there have been some bangers. I mean, it started right off the jump with Central Michigan. So Western Kentucky, then coached by Jeff Brom, got out to this huge lead. Then Central Michigan comes roaring back with, count them, five fourth-quarter touchdowns. The last one being like a 50-yard bomb, a double lateral, and be able to punch it in. The you know time has expired. And then Central Michigan goes for two to try to walk it off. They end up failing. Uh, Jeff Brom and the Hilltoppers hold on 49-48. to 48. Even just last year, Middle Tennessee. Uh, oh, yeah. Shout out, Jordan. Blue Raiders roll off three fourth-quarter touchdowns to be able to overcome a halftime deficit against Toledo. Middle was a 10-point underdog going into the game. They end up winning that game outright. Of the seven games that we've had in the Bahamas Bowl, four have been one-score games. Something about the wind down there uh, always provides a good amount of entertainment. This year's matchup, UAB making its second Bahamas Bowl appearance, Miami making its first. So far, the Conference USA versus Mac uh, showdown has given us a four to three count. The Blazers, heavy favorites in this game, at least from a bowl season perspective, 11 point favorites for UAB. Remember, this is the final game for Brian Vincent as the head coach of this program. Trent Dilfer will be taking over, uh, over under of 45. Now, what there's a lot to, to, to piece apart about this game. Let's start with the, the obvious part. Do you think UAB is like fired up, invested? Does that go into your handicap for this game? The fact that we've got a coaching staff that might be very much in transition, that we've got some players who might be thinking about whether they're a part of the Trent deal for future. How much does the coaching transition factor into the way you look at this game? No more than it does any other job because that's this is the tricky thing about all the bowl games. Like it used to be, got to figure out the team's motivation. It's under an interim coach that adds to it, but now you've got the transfer portal and you've got you know opt outs for the bowl. I don't really think there's anything to worry about as far as this game, as far as draft opt outs, but there are questions on both sides because UAB is under an interim staff with a new head coach coming in. But on the flip side, like Chuck Martin in Miami won their last game of the year 
against Ball State. They won their last two games. They're four and six. They won their last two games, got to a bowl game. This is just rumors. There were rumors that if Miami missed a bowl game, Chuck Martin might be fired. So have they already accomplished their goal? <laughs> like they got to a bowl game, everybody's keeping their job. So there might be a letdown with the Red Hawks. Personally, when it comes to bowl games like this, where you've got two kind of mediocre-ish teams, I see an 11-point spread. Dog. Give me the 11-point spread because it's a bowl game, and I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. So if I can get over 10 points, I'll take it. I'm with you. I, you know, you're talking about the coaches. To me, like the best thing you could have to motivate players, if you're Trent Dilfer, you walk in there, because I'm sure he's already addressed them, right? He had to have. You say, hey, show me, show me what you can do for next year. You know, this is your first tryout for the new staff. So I almost feel like you get pretty solid effort. Now, this, who was preparing the game plan? That is a whole nother ball of wax. Like I, that is a complete question mark as far as what does that look like? But I'm with you guys for this many points. Also with UAB, the way they've, their identity running the football with Dwayne McBride, run, you know, leading the country and rushing yardage. I don't think they'll deviate from that. I would lean towards the under too. Plus Jordan just put in the chat. I think it was Jordan. Uh, yeah, who it's going to be windy in Nassau. I'd lean it's under two. It's going to be windy. And you know what? Not that far. Nassau. It's only like 60 miles from here in, in South Florida where I am. It's already kind of breezy. Makes it a little challenging. You're already working with the backup quarterback um, with one of the teams. So I'd, I'd, I'd lean towards the under too. I am all over Miami in this spot. Miami plays one-score games. The one thing that Miami does well is they're really good at stopping the run. As we mentioned, UAB look, UAB is the better team on paper. The power rating is going to spit out 11 points. But you take these two teams, you drop them in the Bahamas. One of them's just going to run the ball. One of them's good at stopping the run. This is, this is going to be a one-score game. I, I love Miami plus 11 in this spot. Yeah, I will also say I'm on my, we're, I just said we're on Miami, but in the last few years, when it comes to bowl games, blindly fading MAC teams has been pretty profitable. But I, actually, I like Miami in this spot. Actually, whoa, are we seeing a return of the MAC? I forgive me as I reach my little paw in and steal some of the Bears' honey because Chris Felica did drop this gem. Mac teams have gone eight and nine in the last three years in bowl games with a 10, six and one against the spread record. Why is that notable? Because in the previous three years, Mac teams went two and 15 mm -hmm. going six, 10 and one against the spread because we've been doing the cover three podcast in different iterations under different names for a very long time. We've been picking bowl games forever. And Tom, like you, I always have on just sort of my like list of principles is fade the Mac. <laughs> and I, I wonder if we're seeing the return of the Mac. Return of the Mac. <laughs> it is. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we, we, we like uh, the dog here in the, again, that's an 1130 AM Eastern time kickoff on Friday. You know, you want to have action on it. That's just a beautiful way to get God, through your Friday. 1130 kick on a Friday. I know. Is so great. It's crazy. So good. Then we have uh, a legitimate banger of a bowl game in the afternoon. The Cure Bowl from Orlando is a ranked on ranked matchup. 
we're not going to have another ranked on ranked matchup until we get much closer to New Year's. And we've got one right here. Conference USA champion, UTSA, 11 and 2. Sun Belt champion, Troy, 11 and 2. Right now, Troy's favored by one and a half over under a 55 and a half. Got a lot of talent, a lot of good players on this field. What, what do we like in terms of the best bet? Well, say you mentioned that they're both ranked, they're both conference champions. You typically only see battles of conference champions in playoff games. You don't really see them in games like the Cure Bowl. But uh, first of all, I want to address the chat. A lot of people have asked where Bud is. Bud is not here today because we're talking about bowl games, and bowl games are hard to predict. <laughs> and Bud doesn't want to get be wrong on the show. He's so Bud him. is dodging us because yeah. he's afraid his locks record will get hurt if he shows some, up. Some people really care about being right. And some yeah. people care about having good records that they can <laughs> brag about. You know, that's he doesn't want to take any part in uh, putting any bowl picks on the on the uh, on the record. So exactly. So that's where Bud is. That's that's so no, no, no matter Bud what he says, that's the only reason he's not here. So you lose Bud and you get me. Congrats. <laughs> <laughs> I as for this game, like this is my pre my bowl rankings. We talked about it. This is my number four bowl game of the bowl season in the pre bowl rankings. I think this is going to be a very fun game. I think it's going to be an entertaining game. I really want to watch it. And as far as breaking it down, UTSA is getting points. Give me UTSA because, yes. <laughs> like, no disrespect to Troy, who had a very good season and won the Sun Belt. But I know UTSA comes from the much weaker conference. But if you put UTSA in the Sun Belt, it would probably be playing in the Sun Belt Championship too, and it might even win the conference. It's a very good team, so I see them getting points here on a neutral site against the Trojans. And Frank Harris is playing; he's coming back. If he had opted out, okay, I would take Troy. The Trojans have a very good defense. I still think the Roadrunners are going to be able to move the ball on him and put up points. Give me UTSA. I'll probably sprinkle the money line. Uh, Do you know this is the only bowl game with conference champions? Because wow. in, the, in the final four, there no, there don't, we don't have two conference champs matching up, which is a weird dynamic. Um, I'm with you. I, Frank Harris is pretty dang special. I do think about the leadership aspect, where it comes from. And I, I think both of these teams are happy to be there. Like you're talking, this is a true reward end of the season. This is your opportunity. You have a quality opponent. So I think you're going to get the boast out of, uh, the best out of both teams. I think it's pretty evenly matched. But I'm telling you, man, Frank Harris is pretty special. I think he's the difference in this game. So I'll take him too. Also, UTSA is looking for program's first ever bowl win. You want to talk about like firing them up and, and trying to convince them to be a part of history. This is uh, this this would be quite a victory for UTSA. Again, another program that is on the way out and will be in the American Athletic Conference next year. Uh, love love the Roadrunners here. We get started on Saturday, a full day of bowl action with a football field in the middle of Fenway Park. The Wasabi Fenway Bowl with Cincinnati and Louisville, where the Louisville coach left to go to Cincinnati and where the Cincinnati coach left uh, to go to Wisconsin, thereby promoting uh, the defensive coordinator who just arrived from Ohio State and Louisville has promoted Dion Branch. I like it. I like the I like the Dion Branch vibes where you're coming in and and there's no alternate uh, there's no uh, ulterior motives like you're just like you no know, this I love this program I've been working here like I just I, I want to be here for the players the cards do find themselves as two point favorites and 
If you think there were, listen, a long time ago, we put in a principle that we go unders in uh, pitcher's parks. And yes. Fenway is a pitcher's park. <laughs> no, it is not. No, it is not. <laughs> Fenway is very much a hitter's park. And uh, the over-under for this game is 40. What's our best bet for the Fenway Bowl? I like Louisville. I think that you know Malik Cunningham's not playing. And that has had a huge impact on the spread, obviously, as you would expect. But Cincinnati's missing quite a few players here as well. Um, ben Bryant, who was their starting quarterback all season, he's out. So Evan Prater, who started the final game of the year, will be starting. A couple of their top receivers are out. They've got guys who are in the portal. And like, if you want to just go with the vibe check, like you mentioned, Chip, when, when Sat left Louisville, a lot of Louisville players took the social media and were not exactly upset about it. Like they were, they were expressing happiness that their coach had left because apparently they did not like him. I don't know that Cincinnati players felt the same way when Luke Fickle left to take the Wisconsin job. So just from like a vibe standpoint, I feel like Louisville is in the much better place. I think Brock Doman has, hasn't been great in replace of Malik Cunningham this year, but he has had plenty of playing time He's, behind. They've, they've had to do it. Like they've had to experience yeah. life without Malik Cunningham. Yeah, and they've got the extra time to prepare for it with knowing Doman's going to be the starter. So I like Louisville in this game. I think that they're going to win. So it's like, what, is it one point, you said? Two. Two now? Yeah, okay, still, I like the Cardinals. God, this is the ultimate crapshoot game. Yes. Like, I mean, you look at the backups across the board, both teams, quarterbacks, you're down. Um, You talk about, like, the stability of the programs, though. I feel better about Cincinnati having consistently – been rattling off, you know, 10 win seasons. I'll go Cincinnati just to take an opposite side, but Evan Prater, highly touted recruit, probably the upside's a little better, but he sure hasn't played that much. I'll say Cincinnati. If Cincinnati wins, does it count for the AAC or the Big 12? <laughs> That's a good question. Both will claim it. Yeah, both will claim it for sure. <laughs> There's no doubt. So I saw a video of since because the remember the fickle news broke on the Sunday after the final regular season game, right? Like right at the end of Thanksgiving weekend. And I, some players like shot video of everybody in the locker room, like kind of, you know, cleaning out their lockers or just finding out the information. Bad vibes. Mm -hmm. Very bad vibes. We'll see. We'll see what happens. And by the way, Kerry Coombs was not defensive coordinator. Uh, Mike Tressel was defensive coordinator. He was a defensive assistant, I believe, who, again, had shown up after being dismissed from uh, Ohio State as defensive coordinator the year prior. Two things. One, uh, 44 to 40 with rain in Boston. Also, is there really a wasabi lobby? (laughs) Like who, who pays to sponsor wasabi for the bowl game? I'm just which, curious who's promoting which, wasabi. I like wasabi. I'm a fan. I just was kind of surprised. Was it the first Jackass movie where they were snorting wasabi? <laughs> yes. So <laughs> I think Boston's just so cold. You need to make sure to keep your sinuses flowing. Yes, so wasabi do it. has yeah. been able to really stake out a claim in the Boston community, trying to help people be able to, you know, breathe clearly during those cold and windy days. I mean, yeah, this is going to be a, uh, this is an, like disclaimer across the entire bowl season, like Tom's said this over and over again, but really this is good live betting stuff. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati Louisville is like very much. Let's wait. 
let's see who wants to be here. Let's see, like, who's got the good energy on the sideline. Maybe both teams score. Maybe those pads start to pop. And then you can sort of uh, make your position once. My lean was to take the over in this one. Cold, like no one's going to want to be hitting. Like it's going to get a lot of those. But I don't I don't know. I would lean towards the over for that. But with backup quarterbacks, oosh. we also we have a very high likelihood of somebody like catching a ball along the sidelines or the back of the end zone and running right into a wall. Because, again, this isn't a baseball stadium and the field will be right up along the stands. <laughs> Are they going to be on the same sidelines? Oh, yeah, they're on the same. That's why Scott Satterfield should be forced to stand between the the two teams on the (laughs) sidelines in like a like the Pope Mobile kind of bubble to shield him. But just and the stake should be if Louisville wins, Cincinnati has to pay twice the buyout. If Cincinnati wins, no buyout. Mm -hmm. Will this be a situation where pregame Satterfield's out there hugging some of his old players? No, No. I doubt he's even. I don't think so either. Or maybe he'll be in the green monster or on top of it just <laughs> with some binoculars. Yeah, just scouting from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, then we go out to Las Vegas where we've got Florida as a 10-point underdog against Oregon State. Oregon State, phenomenal season. You know, you, you get the win against Oregon at the end of the year. You are now up inside the top 15 of the final college football playoff selection committee rankings. The Beavers uh, are, are going to be very much not concerned with the fact that Florida has no Anthony Richardson, a bunch of NFL draft opt-outs, a bunch of players in the transfer portal. They see an SEC team. They see the Florida Gators. They are going to be fired up to try and put it on Florida. Billy Napier, boy, I hope you've been developing those twos and threes all season because you're going to need them here in a national spotlight opportunity. uh, Florida in the bowl season went in last year and lost to UCF in a very similar, like, who wants to be here? Are you fired up for this matchup? So recent history says Oregon State might be in a, in a great opportunity. Do you agree Oregon State favored by 10 over under a 53? Under. I'm not trusting Oregon State to cover 10 against Florida, even with the players all it's missing. But you mentioned no Anthony Richardson for Florida. Osiris Torrance is out, so their best offensive lineman is missing. This is an offense that has struggled to move the ball consistently and score points all season long, and it's missing its QB and its best offensive lineman. It is not going to be able to. It's it's not going to be pretty. And then on the other side, like Ben Gulbertson stepped in for Chance Nolan early in the year after Nolan got hurt, and he's a freshman. He's struggled. He's been the weak point on that offense. I don't think the Beavers are going to be able to move the ball all that well against this Florida defense. This has a chance to be a very ugly, very lackluster game. And because of that, it's really difficult for me to trust the Beavers to cover. I would much rather be on the under. I'll go ahead and lay them. I just... I think everything's telling you, you got to take the SEC team, more talented roster. But man, when this comes down to who wants it more, it's clearly Oregon State. I think they'll be more focused the week of practice. There's a lot of temptations in Vegas. I think it's going to be the challenge for Billy Napier to make sure his guys aren't out, you know, make sure they're ready for the game. Um, I I was looking last year too, Florida lost 29 to 17. Like 10 sounds like a ton, but it's not that much. I could see a similar game like type style unfolding so i'd lean with tom towards the under but i'm not afraid to lay him i'll go ahead and lay him oh i'm I'm going florida because mm-hmm. yeah you can move the ball on this oregon state defense and you're right that uh anthony richardson and cyrus torres aren't going to be there 
but I loved the one-two punch of Montrell Johnson and Trevor Etienne. Johnson, a sophomore, Etienne, a freshman. Naquan Wright is in the transfer portal. Like those, basically, this this handicap is coming down to the idea that I saw how explosive and fast those two running backs can be, uh, especially Etienne. And I think that I think that we could see them be able to pop enough long runs to to keep this thing competitive. Billy Napier is also a very good against the spread coach. Uh, first time that he's dealt with this kind of situation, but uh, he's he's a coach that has uh, won more tickets uh, than he's lost. So you're you're counting on that to be able to translate even in this situation. So it's with the explosive young. Florida running backs and with Billy Napier's against the spread history that I'm actually going to take the Gators and all of those points. Moving on in the day, uh, we pivot from that's a, that's a two 30 PM Eastern time kickoff, by the way, three 30 PM on ABC. We've got the Los Angeles bowl, the LA bowl and SoFi stadium, Washington state going up against Fresno state, Fresno favored by three and a half over under of 53, a great we do have Jay Kaner playing, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. If, yeah. If there was Jay any Kaner ain't I'm, opting out. Yeah, well, I was, if there was yeah, Hainer, Hainer is is oh, just more more machine now than man. Mm-hmm. He's been bionically replaced and brought back to life so many times. So great quarterback matchup and Jay Kaner and Cam Ward. Uh, the Bulldogs, I think, would not be favored if Hayner was not playing. Of course, coming off a great performance in the Mountain West title game against Boise. Uh, so Fresno minus three and a half. I think that I'm tempted just to lay him just better finish to the season for Fresno, Washington state coming up short in the apple cup against Washington. The Huskies really put it on them. So I'm, I'm, I'm leaning more towards, uh, the Bulldogs right here. Jeff Tedford in the gang. What about y'all? Over. Mm-hmm. Hainer, I think you'll see offensive productions. Cam Ward, I think, as well. I think you see two pretty good quarterbacks going back and forth. It's only 52, 53? Yeah, 53. 53? I think this will be a higher score. I think in weather conditions should be pristine. I think it's a perfect setup for a a higher scoring game. I think it'll deliver, too. I would lean towards Fresno um, just because I'm a little bit more of a believer in in Hainer, who's won against Pac-12 teams before. Um, it feels like it's a chip on the shoulder type thing. Guy who started his career at Washington, you know, considered going back, said, no, I want to go back and, and have something special. Big win against Boise State. I, I think they come in with a little more momentum. I like Wazoo. Now, they, they've got a lot even of guys after losing, out. And even after losing your offensive coordinator to North Texas. Yeah, they've got opt-outs. They've got questions in the coaching staff. But I just, obviously, Fresno has come in here on an eight-game win streak. But like, if you look at them early in the season, out of conference, Fresno lost to Oregon State. It got crushed by USC, and it lost to UConn, which I know ended up making a bowl game. But still, this team lost to UConn. It opened its Mountain West season with a 20-point loss to Boise. And then once it got into the Mountain West, which had a very down season compared to its own standards, not a very good year for the Mountain West, it started to win games. But even then, it would beat up on the teams at the bottom of the conference, and it struggled with anybody in the conference with a pulse. It did finish the year with the rematch win over Boise. Meanwhile, Wazoo, like, it finished 7-5, and five, but it beat Wisconsin on the road. It only lost to Oregon by three. It only lost to Utah by four. It, it hung with it. It didn't get crushed by USC and Oregon State, but both those games were on the road, and it was competitive. 
I just think that overall Wazoo is a better team than Fresno. And while there are questions about it, I think if you put Wazoo in the Mountain West this year, probably wins the conference. So I think them getting points, I'll take the Cougs. But yeah, this is this is very much a coin flip. I don't hate Danny's idea of the over at all. And is SoFi totally indoors or is it just like it's hybrid? open air, but there's a roof. So there will be wind, but you don't have to worry about but fast track. Yeah, fast track for sure. Love fast tracks. All right, <clears throat> Mobile, Alabama is where we will find the Lending Tree Bowl. And shout out to the nerds, Mike Bloomgren. He didn't get six wins on the season. But five wins is the most that Rice has achieved in the Mike Bloomgren era. He became the head coach prior to the 2018 season. And two wins, three wins, two wins, four wins, five wins. And good grades. That gets you to the Lending Tree Bowl. Five and seven on the year. Going up against Southern Miss team, six and six. I very much look forward. This game will be on ESPN, 545 kickoff. I look forward to um, a, a flood of, I feel so old, uh, you know, commentary from as Frank Gore Jr. is probably throwing, you know, a buck 40 and two touchdowns on the field. <laughs> Southern Miss favored by six over under 45 and a half. Uh, where are we going with this one? God, this game is horrible. <laughs> like, I mean, there are too many bowl games. Like, this is one of the first ones you'd say, just get rid of this one. God, Rice has been There's so bad. There's no such thing as too many bowl games. I Come think on there now. is, but that's a whole other discussion. Well, all right, so let me hear what you're going to do with this garbage. Oh, Southern Miss, for <laughs> Southern sure. Miss, like, yeah. Rice is on its four-string quarterback, as far as I know. And, I mean, I would consider also taking the Rice team total under, but I just... Yeah, this is uh, this Southern is, Miss alt line. Yeah, like, yeah. That's I think if you're going to take Southern Miss, I do think you you go alt line up even higher. Maybe like that's minus been another bold trend. It's like if you're if you really like the underdog, then over time, if you've taken those underdogs on the money line, like some of these underdogs do end up winning outright when the underdog ticket cashes, mm -hmm. and then when the favorites do cover, they often cover by more than a touchdown, even beyond the spread. This is a uh, this is the game where I'm like, yeah, give me uh give me Southern Miss minus 13. I think that they could they could run away with this one and make it. I mean, Southern Miss gets up to an early lead. I don't think Rice is gonna be built with its personnel as it is uh to be able to overcome that. So I'm I'm big on big on the Golden Eagles there. Shout out to I think you have to be. Yeah. Uh 7:30 p.m. on Eastern Time on ABC. That's where you will find BYU and SMU. This total opened up at 71, 71 and a half, 72. And it's down, 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 down. 64, as I look at it right now on the board. I'm assuming that's because of personnel losses on the BYU side. Also, maybe on the SMU side. 64 is still a pretty large number, but what the uh, odds makers spit out, what the power ratings spit out for the track meet that would have been BYU and SMU, clearly some of the personnel adjustments have, have led a lot of uh, sharp and or public money uh, to, to hammer this thing down on the total. Uh, in terms of the side, SMU favored by three and a half. Which side are we taking here in SMU-BYU? Yeah, the, the line I'm sure dropped because while he hasn't been ruled out last I checked, Jaron Hall is hurt, the BYU quarterback, so there's a chance he won't be playing in this game, which would impact BYU, which is probably why you shouldn't bet anything in this game but if you are i would bet smu yeah i was a little surprised at this number um 
Both teams seven and five. Both teams underperforming this season overall mm-hmm. as far as preseason expectations, what they could do. I'll I'll I'll, I'll lean with you too. If Jaron Hall's not playing, I think that's a significant loss for BYU. So I'd go with you with the. I'd also I might lean towards the over though. I mean, both of these are kind of system offenses where even if there is a different quarterback, I still think they'll be able to put up some points. SMU's defense hasn't been exactly vaunted all season long, but I think SMU will put up some points for sure. Remember how they like drag us out right after the bowls are announced and ask us to give like best bets on HQ, like right yes. off the bat. Yes. Yeah, I was it just chips, just the king of giving out bad numbers. <laughs> I was, I was, I'm with you, Danny. Like I, I, I did not know at the time that we would have all these personnel adjustments, but I just saw the matchup and I was like, let's go over, over 71 and a half. Now we're a touchdown lower than that, but I don't know. I'm, I, I'm tempted to take BYU, but that is mostly on a distrust of SMU. That is not strong belief in the Cougars as much as it is uh, distrust in SMU in this spot. Uh, again, this is in the New Mexico bowl uh, in Albuquerque. You know what? You know what we haven't done, and maybe we should incorporate some sort of confidence ranking on these. I mean, you could tell by our conversation some bets we feel a lot better about, but this one tens I definitely would not put forty three on. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> ten no, this out of ten, is, all of them. All right, so yeah. what? What's the confidence in Boise against North Texas in the Frisco Bowl? Broncos favored by ten and a half over under a fifty nine and a half. It's funny you ask because in the six pack this week, Boise State is my lock of yeah, lay them. Yeah, North Texas just lost its head coach. I haven't been that confident in the Mean Green anyway. Um, Boise, yeah, Boise, a hundred percent, and like maybe Altline. Yeah, wow, going big. I think this too is about the future. Like Taylor Green showed some promises of what he could do. They still they their fifteen practices feel real critical as far as the future. Like building into a strong offseason, feel better about where they are. North Texas, I'm with you guys. Boise, lay them, yeah, lay them. Uh, and then on Monday again, just love this one. Monday, two thirty p.m. Eastern time, Myrtle Beach, UConn against Marshall. Coaching advantage to the Huskies? I mean, I love Charles Huff, you know, but we're talking Jim Moore Jr. Got the Huskies looking for the first bowl win in so long. They ain't win no games in all those years, and now they got six wins. Now, the Thundering Herd are favored by 10. Marshall is the more complete team. Marshall is probably the more talented team. Over under a 41, what are we doing with the Myrtle Beach Bowl? I'm going with the Huskies. Yeah, They've been on. overachieving all year long. I think there was a spread earlier. I think it was week one. They played Utah State, I think, is like a 42-and-a-half point underdog. And I was like, Lam, don't even worry about UConn. They're the worst program in all of college football. And here they are, bowl eligible. I'm not going to let them fool me once again. I, I think they're going to go out there. I think they're going to keep it close. I don't know if they're going to win, but 10 is too much for me. UConn wins games it should lose. Yeah. You go back and you pour over the 12 results – and, you know, whether you use success rate, yardage differential, like all, all these different uh, ways to look at a team on a down-to-down basis, UConn did not play better than its opponent on a down-to-down basis more often than not, but they just found ways to win. I do think that that probably reflects on a team that has a very, like, limited identity, but they know that identity. I think it reflects well on the coaching. And Jim Moore Jr. has been in more... Bowl games than Charles Huff has 
And so I, I will be, I am, I, I said it jokingly, but I do think that you at least have to factor in a little bit of a coaching edge in terms of the bowl preparation process to UConn. And we got 10 points. I'll, I'll go ahead and take them. Listen, very happy for Jim Mora. I'm very happy for UConn. And I'm especially happy for UConn fans who have had to deal with a lot of very bad football in their lives. But I'm just going to read you the list of teams that the UConn Huskies won against this year. Central Connecticut. Fresno State, good win. But again, I'm not that high on Fresno compared to the market, apparently. Uh, FIU. <laughs> Boston College. <laughs> UMass. <laughs> and Liberty with Hugh Freeze clearly with his eyes set on the Auburn job. <laughs> uh, Marshall Big. I'm probably going to take an alt line on this one. If I bet it, Brad Underwood Fernelli over Watch. here. Yes. Watch when they beat Marshall. Tom's going to say Marshall. <laughs> no, Marshall big. Thunder and Hurd are going to thunder through them Huskies. Oh man, that, that is uh, that's that's Monday, two thirty p.m. Eastern time again. The Myrtle Beach Bowl from Conway, South Carolina. Uh, big hey, keep it. Keep, keep, keep things in line over there that weekend in Myrtle Beach, Monday morning. Get that Pedialyte ready, my friend. It's going to come fast for everybody when you got to be out there at stadium about 10 a.m. Uh, we'll, we'll be keeping an eye on it. And we are, are going to be uh, going live Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern time uh, with another edition of, of the Bowl Nanza breaking down the next slate of bowl games. And if we've got any updated hunches, thoughts, or information on the Myrtle Beach Bowl, we will be sure to offer that as well. Again, Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We are back with another edition of the Bowl Nanza. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Danny Fernell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much.